Hello everybody, welcome to the episode number 10 of Take It EV. 10. I got a very interesting subject today. It's all about charging and the future of EV adoption, the impact on the grid and the infrastructure. We quite often hear that the uh, mass EV adoption is going to have a massive impact on the grid. It's going to cause our lights to flicker in the evening and it's going to cause all sorts of doom and gloom and that nobody's looked into it and why would we even go this way? Well, as you might have guessed, somebody's actually looked into it and there's a lot of knowledge and information in that area. Better yet, the uh, the results are actually public and you can read them and you can talk to people involved in the project. And today's interview is going to be with such person. She's been dragged into the uh, the V ownership and has been since an EV advocate and, uh, you know, a great person to talk to. So I don't know what else to say. Um, if you're uh, if you're interested in knowing what happened and how the studies have been conducted and what the results were, and if you want to hear all the details and uh, find out, Better yet, if you want to know anyone who actually is an EV adoption skeptic, send them our way and let them listen to this episode. Without further ado, this is the interview with Jill Noel. Uh, Jill Noel, welcome to Take EDP. If you could uh, just tell us, uh, how did you find yourself owning an electric car and what do you do have to do with this whole EV thing? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Greg. And and firstly, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Really, really happy to talk with you today. My love of all things electric vehicle related started back in 2012. So I started working back in 2012 for a company called EA Technology a power engineering company based just outside Chester, which is where I spend most of my time. I live just outside Chester in the Northwest. And they were working with one of the distribution network operators, Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks, to try and understand what impact, if any, clusters of electric vehicles would have on our local electricity networks. With that in mind, and bearing in mind that back in 2012, there was really only the Nissan Leaf that was a truly viable electric car um, back in those days, we set up a project called My Electric Avenue. And I was responsible for setting up clusters of electric vehicle drivers um, to, to look at what impact a few electric vehicles charging on one LV feeder, so that's within one or two streets of each other, might have on that network. The project was very successful. Uh, We established 10 of these clusters with 10 Nissan Leaf drivers in each cluster. And we started to understand that, yes, across a number of local electricity networks across Great Britain, there will be an impact when electric vehicle penetration reaches between 40 to 70%, across about a third of GB electricity networks. One of the really great things about that project was that uh, we also tested a very early and simple demand control technology called a SPREE. Um, And that managed people's charging across the tea time peak and across the uh, the sort of the nighttime period um, to alleviate the impact of a number of electric vehicles charging at the same time. And it was the first project 
not only to test that kind of technology, but also to try and understand how how customers, how electric vehicle drivers might accept having their charging remotely managed effectively. So it was a really kind of pioneering project back in the early days of, of electric vehicles. Um, so really, my love of electric vehicles stems from that project, and I feel very grateful to have had that experience. Um, and of course, that it was around that time, back in 2012, 2013, that I first sat in and drove an electric car, and that was the Nissan Leaf. And I remember at the time thinking, firstly, is it on? Um, and then secondly, wow, this is really great. You just put your foot down and it goes and it was brilliant. Um, and I'm sure I came out of that car with, you know, a big EV smile on my face. Um, and I thought, this is it. I'm sold on electric cars. Not only are they great for the environment with zero tailpipe emissions, once you've actually got hold of one, they're incredibly cheap to run, beautiful to drive. Um, and, you know, that was me. I was sold on the electric vehicle idea. Wow, that's quite an introduction into the EV world. It looks like you've been dropped into the deep end of the EV ownership. That's, yeah, absolutely. I think it was day two in that particular job that somebody um, put a piece of paper on my desk and said, can you fill out this expression of interest? We'll try and secure some funding. Um, and that <laughs> became this incredible three-year project um, that, you know, it was incredibly exciting to work on. But I was involved in a lot of electric vehicle test drives during those um, few years. They were all with a view to uh, establish these uh, clusters of electric vehicles for the My Electric Avenue project. And the number of people, you know, the vast majority of those test drivers had never sat in an electric car, never mind driven one. And all bar none came out with the big smile on their face, you know. Um, and I remember one particular person from uh, somewhere in the New Forest. He had clearly owned a lot of beautiful cars in his lifetime. He had a test drive in the Nissan Leaf and he got out and he said, that beats the DB7, an Aston Martin DB7. Maybe not aesthetically, but for the drive experience, it really does. And that was quite an incredible thing to hear. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, it's, it certainly beats the uh, DB7 off the line, the, the little Nissan Leaf, that has to be said. Yes. <laughs> yes. So since then, obviously, there has been a lot of growth in the EV world. Loads of new owners, uh, loads of uh, other community has grown uh, massively. Have you noticed any shifts, any changes in the, uh, in the questions you've been asked and any positive changes since? I think there has, Greg. Um, Going back to 2012, I think, you know, a small number of electric cars available um, to buy or to lease. Um, the project that I worked on after my electric avenue was Electric Nation. Um, and that was a, a really large smart charging, domestic uh, electric vehicle smart charging trial that is concluding this year. Um, and I think when we started Electric Nation back in 2016, there were about 40 makes and models of EVs available, including plug-in hybrids. I absolutely loved taking part and going to fully charge live in June this year. And that extravaganza of clean tech and electric vehicles, they had about 100 
make some models of electric vehicles, um, both pure and plug-in hybrids available to have a look at and and some to test drive. And that's just incredible, isn't it? Um, And we know that automotive OEMs are bringing out new makes and models all the time. When I speak to people, obviously, you know, years ago, they were very new, very, um, very new technology. Um, And there was a lot of concern about range. Range anxiety was all the rage, if you like. Um, And also uh, anxiety about the the lifetime of the the battery. Well, on the battery front, from my time working on My Electric Avenue with Nissan, then Nissan back in, I think, 2013 extended the warranty on the battery from five to eight years. So that was a really clear indication even back then that certainly Nissan had no um, concern about the lifetime of the battery. Um, And I think that is playing out to be absolutely true across industry now. On people's perception of range, the new makes and models of electric cars, you know, easily have 150 miles plus worth of range. And we know that still people in the UK certainly only drive on average about 25 miles a day, something like that. And then the occasional longer journey, which takes a little bit of pre-planning, of course. So I think the range anxiety perception is is dissipating, but I think it probably still exists to an extent. Yeah. And we know also that, you know, the majority of people do and will charge their cars at home if they have off-street parking. We know that there is a challenge with on-street charging infrastructure and there's some really great new uh, innovative products coming out on that front now from the likes of urban electric and connected curb and so on. I think uh, you know when I speak to people and I speak to friends and I give as many people as possible a, a test drive in my Nissan Leaf just to give them an idea of what it's like to drive an electric car because I think it's when you get people actually in them and driving them that then they they realize that what a great car it is you know never mind that it's electric it's just a brilliant a brilliant vehicle to drive then they get over the perception that it's like a milk float a friend said that to me the other day she said oh Jill she said I know you've liked electric cars for ages but now I see why you know it's not like a milk float at all is it I'm like no it's really not so I think I think we're getting there but then there are still many people that I speak with that don't consider that an electric car would suit their lifestyle and their regular longer journeys. And I think that's still, it's still, it's a perception and it's a valid perception. And I think that's one that still needs to be overcome. So the year 2020 is supposed to be the year of EVs uh, hitting the mainstream. The growth is certainly there, but I think it will be the late 2020 before we actually see at least one EV on every street in the country. So far, I don't see too many EVs in the area I live in, other than an occasional Nissan Leaf or a few Model 3s that have popped up here and there when I drive around. So it has now been a couple of years since the uh, Electric Avenue project. We now have cars available with bigger batteries and longer range. There are also more EVs on the road now and more available to purchase. Do you think that if this study was conducted again today, that the results would have been slightly different? And do you know of anyone else conducting similar research and trials in the UK? 
Yeah, great question. So the Milo to Cabernet project that ran from 2012 to 2015, um, this is where we had clusters of electric vehicles charging on uh, the local electricity network and we looked at the impact in Trada smart charging solution. So the whole point of that project was actually to mimic the electricity network of 2030. So it was a very future looking project and it modelled people's charging at both three and a half and seven kilowatts. So in that regard, um, the learning from that has quite a long lifetime, if you like. The Electric Nation project that followed My Electric Avenue um, advanced the learning from My Electric Avenue in that it looked to understand how smart charging was acceptable not only to EV drivers but also to the vehicles, um, you know, a whole a wide range of, of makes and models of EV and plug-in hybrid. So that was a big a big difference um, with with Electric Nation. As a result of those projects and others um, in this area, then as we know, government has now said that all charges have to have smart functionality as of the 1st of July this year. And, you know, I would hope and I'm sure that um, that some of the learning from those earlier projects fed into that. And the Automotive and Electric Vehicles Act is now in place um, that, that mandates smart charging. So that's that's incredibly, incredibly positive and I think shows the value of those kind of projects. On sort of the new uh, project front, it is not directly related to the earlier projects that I've worked on, but um, for the last year now, I've been working for a company called Electrolink, and we are essentially the UK's energy market data hub. So we manage a, a system, the data transfer service, that facilitates all the data flows that underpin the operation of the retail energy market. What it means, though, is that we have a vast data lake of energy market data, such as people's consumption history going back over the last seven years, uh, switching history, also all the embedded generation um, that's on the network connected at meter point level. So one of the things we've been able to do with that data is to look at energy consumption patterns to understand in the absence of a notification of a charge point being installed to understand actually where there is an electric vehicle being charged at a particular property. The reason that we've delivered that project, the LCT detection project, which was for Western Power Distribution and we worked with IBM on that project, um, the reason behind that project is that distribution network operators have very, very poor visibility of actually what's connected at the, uh, the low voltage level. So if we can increase that visibility, it helps the network operators plan ahead of need for the uptake of electric vehicles and for solar PV, um, heat pumps and so on. So through that project, we've increased Western Power Distribution's visibility of um, both electric vehicles and solar PV on their network by about 13%. Um, so that's that's and that's a really nice example of how data can be used to advance 
um, and to help facilitate uptake of electric vehicles. Because I think it's very easy to, you know, we kind of take for granted that we've got, um, you know, we've got the energy coming into our homes, we can use electricity, you know, turn on the lights and so on. But the cables that um, that supply the electricity to our homes and small businesses, it's those cables and the overhead lines that need to be robust enough and need to have the capacity to manage all this, you know, big new demand and generation. Uh, as a personal example, in the house we live in, we had to upgrade our feed to 100 amps in order to make sure that we will have much more robust connection to the power network. Yeah. Of course, in theory, 60 amps is enough for a three-bedroom house and a three-kilowatt-hour char- uh, car charger. But we wanted to make sure that uh, our house is safe and is future-proofed. Uh, so... Following some of the, the, if you follow some of the mainstream media and publications, uh, they would lead you to believe that there is no work done currently to ensure that we have enough uh, information out there and enough studies being uh, conducted uh, on how electri- electrification of private transportation will impact the electric grid. So, uh, thank you for your work and describing it to our audience. It's good to know that uh, this work has been carried out by people like yourselves who um, have the first-hand experience of owning and driving an EV. Is there anyone else interested in that data? Uh, is the government, for instance, consuming that data as well, you know, uh, shaping the future rules and regulations based on it? Yeah, absolutely. So government has recently set up um, with the Energy Systems Catapult um, the Energy Data Task Force and there is also, particularly in the electric vehicle space, the EV um, Energy Task Force that's operating and consulting at the moment. So, in terms of data and electric vehicles, um, governments and sort of associated government bodies are doing quite a lot in this space, actually. Um, the EV Energy Task Force, which is managed by the low CVP, the Low Carbon Vehicle Partnership, the precursor to that was actually established as a result of the learning from My Electric Avenue because from that early project, we realised that there was very little communication and engagement going on between the automotive manufacturers and the utilities, so the distribution network operators, suppliers, etc. So we set up the EV network group with the support of the low CVP and with OLEV and other very, very relevant uh, bodies from government and industry. Um, That then morphed into the EV Energy Task Force that is fully supported by government and has done a lot of work to understand how the automotive sector and the utilities and energy and data and so on can really pull together to make sure that, I suppose, to make sure that the UK um, encourages innovation in the area and certainly does not act as a barrier to the uptake of EVs. It facilitates the uptake of electric vehicles. Okay, that's, that's good to know. I'll, I'll get a few people uh, angrily tweeting at me if I didn't ask about the vehicle to grid. Did you, did you guys take that into account with the uh, My Electric Avenue uh, research? Well, not with me at My Electric Avenue, actually. I think it was a little bit too early, but with Electric Nation, so that's the project with EA Technology and Western Power Distribution and others such as Drive Electric were involved in that. So Electric Nation has looked at vehicle-to-grid 
Um, there's a brilliant, actually, there's a brilliant um, smart charging and vehicle to grid test rig at EA Technology. So Electric Nation has certainly looked at vehicle to grid um, and it's, it managed to source a viable single phase compliant vehicle to grid unit. Since then, or in parallel with that, um, Innovate UK, as we know, funded, I think, £30 million worth of vehicle to grid projects, some of which are looking to establish the business case for vehicle to grid. Um, I can see that it will work for fleets of EVs. Um, At a domestic level, I am yet to see the business case stack up, but I think it's a viable proposition for certainly for fleets. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of a lot of companies, you know, not least of all suppliers, actually, that are doing a lot of interesting work in the V2G area at the moment. I'm only aware of the Ovo Technology or Ovo Energy uh, company actually um, installing the uh, vehicle to grid chargers. I had I had a, a chap from uh, not far from from here uh, who is a owner of uh, um, Nissan Leaf on the podcast. Uh, just talking about his experience with vehicle to grids. He doesn't have solar panels, but he's got a charger installed by Avo Energy at his house. And he's part of the uh, sort of pilot uh, program that they, uh, they've they been, uh, you know, installing the, those chargers uh, at their customer houses. Because I, I, personally, I think, obviously, you know, you've done far more research than I have. So I'm just going to, my, my, my take on it is, you know, semi-conscious uh, technologically person, uh, uh, just thinking about things but i think vehicle to grids uh, has a you know very very uh, big um future ahead of it if, if, if we were to actually um devolve the the grids or i don't know what is, what is the the proper term for that but you know create like a distributed grid um with many many evs plugged in at the same time uh, i think it would be uh, it would be a very good thing to to not only allow but sort of mandate that the cars are plugged in uh, to sort of uh, to smooth out the the, uh, the grid loads um, across the nation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah, so, yes. Yeah, sort of talking about thinking about a decentralised network, if you like, um, as, such as you've just described. I think there is a role um, probably for vehicle to grid. I'll be really interested to see which other, if any other, OEMs follow Nissan's lead. Um, on that front. But I think that actually smart charging or managed charging, certainly at the moment is, as it's being rolled out, will and is doing a fantastic job in terms of managing the impact and managing the, the demand on the grid. And that probably brings me nicely to the to the new kind of smart charging technology that I've been beta testing since February this year. Is that the Ohm charger? The OMI, OMI. yeah, that's it, the OMI um, intelligent charging cable. So I bought my secondhand Nissan Leaf in January this year, and clearly I needed or, you know, I wanted to ideally charge at home, as most people do, if they're they're able to. Um, So I was very lucky enough to be offered uh, the OMI intelligent charging cable to test, And very simply, I had a 32-amp commando socket fitted to the outside wall of my house. The interesting thing about OMI is that all the intelligence, all the smart functionality happens in a box on the cable rather than on the wall, certainly with this version. Um, I have an app 
that accompanies it. So I can schedule my charging such that I am 80% charged by 7 o'clock every weekday morning and 100% charged by 7 o'clock each weekend day. I can also prioritise my charging so that I charge predominantly when it's greenest, so when there are most renewables on the system or when it's cheapest or to optimise my battery life. I switched energy supplier to Octopus um, because uh, Octopus and OMI have a partnership such that the algorithms do all their clever stuff behind the scenes, uh, which means that I get the best available rate for charging you know, either when it's cheapest or when there are most renewables on the system. So it's brilliant. Um, and when it's particularly windy, I get very excited and I look at my app um, and see that I'm charging for about 0.8 pence a mile. Wow. You know, normally it's about two pence, two and a half pence, which is still so cheap, isn't it? You know, it's just, it's, it's for me, it's a no brainer. That's amazing. Uh, a very large number of EV owners I met before we got our Nissan Leaf switched to an EV purely due to the financial savings, uh, with the smarter chargers and energy companies passing down the savings to the customer. The future is looking exciting indeed. Um, as I'm looking outside my home office's window at the moment, I see loads of the uh, the little Ford Tipper cars going past up and down the road. It has always been surprising to me that most of the uh, the tradesmen in, especially rural England, have not considered running uh, at least one pure EV version of the uh, the car in their fleet. Going back to the uh, my electric avenue project, are you aware of anyone uh, conducting a similar study for the trade and business fleets of fans and uh, you know the little Ford Tipper, tipper uh, cup, uh, type of cars? I'm sure there is. Um, I'm sure there are people engaging with fleets and businesses on the uh, sort of low carbon vehicle front. I think that there's, a, I believe there's a project in Nottingham that's doing quite a lot of work with Go Ultra Low Nottingham uh, in that regard. But it, it does strike me that if JCB can make an electric digger, um, then then you know actually, eventually there will be the right type of electric vehicle for all applications, pretty much. You know, I mean, we now have electric diggers. We're looking at electric ships and hybrid electric aeroplanes as well, aren't we? So probably the sky's the limit. It will just take time. And I think for the work that I've been doing over the last few years, the focus has been on on making sure from a network operator point of view that the local electricity can facilitate, you know, increase in electric vehicles because the last thing anybody wants is, you know, is the lights flickering or worse. Um, And so I think all those projects have been very timely and have set the scene and set the basis for, um, you know, a robust, smarter and more flexible energy system going forward. Uh, I I do agree that uh, V2G depends largely on OEMs actually including this functionality in their cars. And it seems that Nissan is the only one seriously committed to it at the, at the moment. But what about uh, solar and home battery storage? 
the the number of houses with solar panels is growing probably quicker at the moment than uh, the number of EVs on our roads. I often wonder what is the impact of me having solar panels on our roof when we are not home. It obviously has a positive impact in terms of the uh, CO2 emissions, but it would be good to actually see how does it shape our grids you know, now and in the future. So have uh, solar and battery storage have been part of the, uh, your studies as well? Yeah, so I think it comes back to the fact that the network operators don't have great visibility of what's installed, whether that's electric vehicles or heat pumps or indeed solar panels. Um, and in my work with Electrolink, so we're very much focused on data, on the data side of things. The LCT detection project that I spoke about earlier included um, looking at energy consumption patterns at a domestic level to try and spot changes so that we could identify where solar PV is installed, um, which was, it was very successful in doing that. Um, so yes, in that, in that sense, um, we've certainly looked at, at solar PV as well because it's, it's just really important for the network operators um, to understand what's going on on their networks, you know, so that they can um, plan effectively going forward. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been often joking with my neighbour that, um, you know, when he's uh, doing stuff at home and I'm not home, um, he's kind of benefiting from my solar panels and I don't think he quite gets it. I um, So... The, with all the projects that you've mentioned, you know, My Electric Avenue, Electric Nation, um, Electrolink, is the, um, is the data and reports widely available for everybody to, to access and read? Or is it something that, you know, one has to uh, pay money to, uh, to get access to? How does that work? The brilliant thing, Greg, is that all the projects I've talked about have been funded through um, innovation funding courtesy of Ofgem and the distribution network operators, which means that all the learning, all the reports are publicly available. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, and the closed down report is due to come out any day now, actually, for the LCT detection project. Um, so I will send you a link and I will circulate a link um, on that uh, across social media, of course. Um, and also Electric Nation has just reported, actually, the week before last. Um, so all the reports from that project are on the website and the same for My Electric Avenue. And in fact, a lot of charging and behavioural and driving data is also publicly available from those projects. Do you, do, you, do you guys also have data, because obviously like cars like our Nissan Leafs uh, have telemetrics uh, in the car, and I'm sure it sends that to the uh, to Nissan, because I can access it through my app, but I'm sure more detailed data is actually, you know, stored somewhere in the cloud. And um, do you guys have access to that from Nissan as well, and from other car manufacturers? Not as far as I know. Okay. Not as far as I know. That would be quite nice to have, wouldn't it? So, uh, lastly... I'm pretty certain that every car manufacturer out there has at least one secret project on the books, which is a fully electric, uh, f fully battery electric vehicle, ready to be launched at any moment, just waiting in there. And of course, I'm sure they have their own reasons for not releasing them at the moment. And we would like to, of course, see all of them appearing as soon as possible. Some have announced or soon will be bringing one to the market. And there are many who have them already for sale, of course. So with the, the upcoming wave of, uh, of EVs being introduced to the market and 
now and uh, you know in not so distant future more and more people owning the first electric car ever do you see any gaps in the market any technologies required any anything that uh, should or uh, should happen uh, which would uh, help and improve the future of the uh, the EV adoption um, in terms of technology i think there's already a lot of interesting stuff going on with on street charging um, and i think there's still plenty of scope for more innovation around that on that point actually greg so olev recently launched a competition for schools to get schools involved in designing what the on street charging point of the future could look like um so i think that's uh, really interesting that olev is getting involved and really really encouraging um you know students to get involved in shaping the future of uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure um and i was really really pleased to 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 try and help that in a little way through ev clicks so ev clicks is a started off as a twitter account that i set up uh, back in february just encouraging people from all around the globe to donate their electric vehicle and electric vehicle related photos i very quickly set up a website to house the library of electric vehicle photos that were coming through um and the idea of that it's a it's a an open a free resource of images for use by schools by communities and projects and small businesses all to try and help the transition towards um electric vehicles and a low carbon future um so I was really really pleased that um the Olev used some of those images from EV clicks in their schools competition call um but I would say as well that yeah if you haven't had a had chance to have a look at EV clicks already do take a look on Twitter or uh, or on the website Yeah, I'll, I'll put the link in the description. It's obviously it's like a, a photo bucket, but for uh, EV-related uh, images, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, and I do need to, and I've had a brilliant offer of support actually, Greg. Um, I do do need to sort of go through and tag and, and organise all those images because the response has been brilliant actually. Um, so I'm very very thankful for that. And um, and the brilliant thing is that the the photos are actually being used. Which is exactly, you know, why I set it up in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I often, I often need images when I'm uh, putting together a, a podcast. Uh, good to know that there's somebody somewhere else, especially if you're writing a a blog or a, or you're putting together a, a, a presentation. It's it's good to have a, a resource out there. I don't know. Is there anything else you would like to mention? Um, I don't think so greg i might well think of something when we've um when we've finished talking <laughs> but uh, but that's been it's been a really really interesting conversation and i appreciate it very much thank you well thank you for uh, for giving me some of your time uh, and hopefully you know this will be very uh, interesting to to loads of people it certainly has been for me uh, uh, you know i've i've been in in the sort of ev community for quite a long time even before i got my car when i when i started researching it Uh, but I've never heard of some of the projects that you you've been involved in. So, and you don't you don't you don't hear from people like yourselves on sort of uh, uh, on many podcasts. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping this is going to be interesting to many people. Thank you very much. I hope so too. Well, let's say this is the end of the episode number 10. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your time. And as always, please do 
get in touch with us at uh, on the Twitter at, at TakeEDV, uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash TakeEDV, or email at TakeEDV at gmail.com. And uh, if you've listened so far, at least say hi on Twitter. Bye-bye. <laughs>